there. This is the A Lot to Say podcast, a conversation-based project focused on unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us. I'm your host, Gary Williams, or Gaz, as many call me. And A Lot to Say is part of the Alts Project's family of content, uh, obsessing about the overlap between creativity, technology, and culture. I'm fortunate to spend my days working alongside technologists, artists, researchers, and people who just generally give a damn about the world we live in. And I'm very lucky to be able to hear of some incredible career journeys over that time from some really inspiring people. So I am particularly energized by the projects that I hear people are experimenting and tinkering on along the way. And I thought, you know what, it's time to put these stories out there with the A Lot to Say podcast project. I can't wait for you to hopefully discover some new and lesser known stories about the things people get wrapped up in and what led them to this point. This is A Lot to Say. Thanks for joining me for a lot to say. Uh, this episode is a great one. Um, I've got joining me Kanal Kalro. He's a social entrepreneur um, and he's a CEO and co-founder of Eugene Labs. And I've been wanting to chat to him for a while and, and stoked he made the time for it. Uh, Eugene is a digital um, a genetic and health service. Uh, it, it basically, as we discussed during the chat, they um, you know empower people with expert approaches um, but but in something that's convenient and uh, compassionate for them uh, healthcare-wise. So it was a really cool chat to hear the ethos behind uh, Eugene. And furthermore, um, on the on the team, um, he and his co-founders have, uh, have assembled to uh, drive this mission forward. Uh, we, we chatted a lot about his background, um, his background and love of product design, uh, his love of being surrounded by people, um, and uh, and even how much he misses Burning Man, which is uh, a really cool one. I know he's a mega fan of... Um, of Burning Man and misses it greatly this year. Uh, he talks about one such experience um, during the chat that I, I found really touching and just, uh, you know, lovely to hear people express um, during the chat. Uh, we've known each other from working out of the same co-working space. I was in Spy 9 in Richmond. And uh, he also spoke on one of um, uh, one of the past Fuck Up Nights events that, that I've sort of referenced regularly throughout the podcast, but perhaps not with uh, much context uh, but he's a fantastic storyteller, which is um, what most of the people on the um, on the event are. Uh, look, it's a great chat. Um, I'm really appreciative of, of of him being involved. So, um, hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Uh, welcome to a lot to say podcast, Kanal Kalro. How are you going today? It's um, fastly approaching the end of the year. Um, so, I really appreciate you being one of my last guests for 2020. How's everything going? Really good. I'm having a glass of sparkling right now, so I'm doing ace. <laughs> how how has the year been? Um, I was having a think before and um, uh, just looking back on the year and um, having a think about my my own sort of personal headspace and um, I think exhausted might might mm. sort of sum it up a little bit, but still buoyant about um, I guess you know the forthcoming summer and and seeing friends and social interactions, etc. But how about yourself? How have you found the year and um and what are you uh you know optimistic about um upcoming? Yeah, well, I mean it's kind of a garbage year, isn't it? <laughs> I don't even know if there's two ways about it. Uh it was tough. It was a tough year, but uh I'm also really just excited. I'm I'm an extrovert, so as soon as they let us out, I was just running towards people. And yeah, yeah uh it's nice to kind of have that sense of freedom back and uh, be able to connect uh, with the folks in your life in a you know in a much more meaningful way than you can on zoom and stuff so 
yeah, I feel I feel really good now, but I'll be hard pressed to say that that was my feeling the entire year because <laughs> it was not. Yeah, it was definitely a, a tough period for sure. We're going to touch on a lot of aspects, I guess, about your your experience through this year in terms of um, running Eugene um, and and what Jean, Eugene is, of course, but also um, you know the team you're surrounded by and the people you're usually surrounded by, so your regular sort of working environment or natural state. Mm. Um, but as well as that, I, I want to dive into um, a lot of your back history and this sort of fascinating um, journey to get where you are in running Eugene as a CEO. Um, yeah. I know you've spoken a little bit about it in, in various public forums and specifically um, you spoke on one of our Fuck Up Nights events, um, which feels like an absolute eternity ago, but um, it, it was a, uh, like a year and a half ago, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like a decade has passed, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, look, I, I really don't want to sort of uh, dance around what Eugene is. Um, so I think maybe we'll start with that now to set the scene in terms of what fills your day-to-day and then I'll touch on a lot of those um, other aspects. So from what I understand, um, Eugene is, look, fundamentally you're doing a lot of work in genetics. Do you want to talk through the specifics of what uh, Eugene is and how long it's been going for? Yeah, of course. So Eugene basically delivers convenient at-home access to clinical-grade genetic tests and uh, actionable healthcare results alongside telehealth genetic counseling to help every person make better and more informed healthcare decisions. And if I were to break that down into the couple of tests that we currently do have, one of them is called carrier screening, and that's a test for people to understand if they're at risk of having a child with a significant genetic condition. And obviously, people use this test ahead of pregnancy or early in pregnancy to sort of make informed reproductive decisions. And uh, yeah, uh, so that's that. And then, of course, uh, we've got another test, and that's the cancer risk test. And that's to help people understand their risk of inherited forms of cancer. And once again, you know, you'll find a similar theme uh, with all tests at Eugene, which is it helps people make proactive healthcare decisions that can, uh, you know, avoid issues before they happen instead of react to things after they happen, which is what a lot of the traditional healthcare systems are based on. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. For context, I was um, with the, um, say, the podcast, uh, and, and not that it's necessarily specifically themed around COVID or anything like that. But then I, I started to think about uh, Eugene because I've um, you've explained this to me in the past and I've uh, obviously seen it mentioned in the press, um, but also heard directly from you um, what you're intending to build. And, uh, and I guess with 2020 um, and this emphasis that you have on in-home tests and, um, you know, I guess breaking down traditional norms in terms of health screens, et cetera, it seems like potentially more opportunities have come towards yourselves. Would that be sort of fair or correct? Or is it still sort of um, evolving as you go? Absolutely. I mean, in some ways, you know, things have been evolving in this particular space for the past two decades, and they're sort of accelerating at this stage. Uh, But one of the trends that I've seen this year that has made a big difference is just how comfortable everyone has gotten with at-home and virtual care. The idea that you could get healthcare in your own home or online was just so foreign to people, including healthcare providers, right? I think healthcare providers were really against it in many ways as well. But this year has shown that that it is possible. And in fact, it can be better. It can be more convenient. It can be more accessible. It can be more inclusive. 
we've spent so much time locking care uh, healthcare in physical locations that has developed all kinds of barriers whether it's geographical you think about people who live out in this you know out in the suburbs or out in the regions uh, they can't access the same quality of healthcare that we might be able to access in urban centers and those barriers don't need to exist in the same way anymore the world has changed in so many different ways for almost everything else we can get i can get like pretty much anything delivered within the next two days to my home if I wanted to, but healthcare was still pretty much locked in a physical location. And I think yeah. this year has just completely changed the dynamic about that. And I think that's, I think that's really great. I think that's going to be good for the future. To identify the disparity. So would this be uh, categorized uh, in some way as telehealth? Because telehealth is a term that's emerging, but I think that, um, you know, potentially some people may not um, know the distinction between um, certain sort of forms of telehealth. Uh, I'm thinking of sort of Pilot, who are an Australian um, company by way of um, the company Eucalyptus, mm-hmm. I should say. It's a brand of theirs. Mm-hmm. And their um, Pilot is focusing on men's health, so um, uh, sexual health, everything from erectile dysfunction through to mm-hmm. uh, premature ejaculation and um, hair loss and sleep mm-hmm. and mental health and so on. So yeah. um, how about yourselves? That, um, would it fall or be lumped in under the telehealth um, category? So partially, yes, it is. Uh, we do offer a telehealth service because all of our genetic counseling and uh, clinical services are offered online through a telehealth platform. It also combines an additional component, which is the testing component, and that's all done at home as well. But we ship test kits to people, and they spit in a tube, and they mail it back to us. So there's sort of a couple of different factors. Uh, As with Pilot, uh, we specialize in something quite different, and our functions operate quite differently in that in that space because, well, we the we offer like really medical grade genetic tests and that's quite specific they often need to be integrated within the healthcare system especially with the results so if you get if you get a positive result or if you get high risk result that's kind of meaningless if it's, if you're just left with that information and nothing happens through beyond that so we work really hard to make sure that all of our test results can be integrated within the health system so that they're actionable in a medical setting and you get to access clinical grade genetic testing in a very safe and supported environment. So it's it's quite it's quite it's a, it's a bit of a complex problem, and we are, we try to offer a really simple solution around it. But we work really hard to make sure that all of our tests can uh, fit within the healthcare system as it currently stands. Uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So. Um... So I've known you for a little while, and uh, and and you're extra. You said um, before that you were an extrovert. I think that's um, almost an understatement. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> you're certainly you're certainly a, an incredibly lively presence, and 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 that's why um, you know what I've always loved. You know, people sort of naturally gravitate towards you. Um, you you sort of you really make people feel welcome in the environment. And I'd love to hear about uh, your relationship with your wider team, uh, your your co-founders, and so on. But how the hell did you find yourself in um, sort of, I guess, the genetics world? And, and what was a little bit of a, a key moment for you moving into that? Was it by way of uh, the education you sought or was it by way of uh, opportunity by um, having entrepreneurial uh, characteristics? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, firstly, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> you <to> say. Uh, <laughs> uh, My yeah. pleasure. Uh, so, yeah, thanks. Uh, 
my as for my kind of entrance into genetics it's it's actually really it's it's a personal endeavor for me this one this time around so my background's in entrepreneurship and design well before that my background was in accounting and finance because I'm a good indian boy and I went to university for accounting and finance and then I studied <laughs> information systems because once again you know indian family has particular requirements when you go to university Anyway, all of that stuff wasn't really for me, although I do use all of the skills I've acquired to this day. Uh, after I graduated and I worked uh, in a consulting firm for a couple of years, I just decided to shift in, try something in entrepreneurship because it felt more what would fulfill me. And I started a couple of companies, but at the end of my last company, I wanted to work in a field that I could make a difference in. And uh, yeah... So as I mentioned that this is a bit of a personal connection for me, but seven years ago, seven years ago, my dad, he passed away primarily because of a broken health system and uh, working in technology, you're, you're like, I, you can get pretty much anything delivered to your home in no time and you have access to everything, the entire world at your fingertips. But uh, access to healthcare is still so insanely limited. And mm -hmm. I just didn't think that lack of access to knowledge and care and prevention are good reasons for any person to lose any family member at all. And I really wanted to work on something that would help address that problem. And you've yeah. got all these amazing genomic technologies that are developing at such a fast pace that create the opportunity for people to predict and prevent issues before they even happen. And yet most people are just completely out of the loop on that. So these technologies mm -hmm. aren't of the future. I mean, they, they, you know, they sound futuristic, but they exist today. They actually mm. exist today, but most people don't have access to it. And that to me is completely insane. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why I started Eugene. I just wanted, I just think that people should be able to access knowledge so that they can uh, make better healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. Yeah. And it feels like uh, not only is um, that message or that, that sentiment of better health decisions, but also um, preventative and proactive mm -hmm. decisions that feels like that emanates throughout uh, sort of as a, um, a very consistent message that you uh, repeatedly uh, voice and I appreciate you sharing about your your father. W was this um was that proactive measure something that was a was a key driver in establishing um, Eugene and forging on on, on that path? It was, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's funny that with this uh, this female founders grant just happened, but my dad died uh, from heart disease, and it was. Uh, heart disease is one of the most preventable areas of chronic care, and it actually takes more lives every year uh, than most other chronic conditions in both the developed world, but also in the developing world in India, for yeah. example. And it's it's highly preventable. You know, we, we, we can make proactive decisions that can help us live longer. Just, most people just don't know. People don't have access to information. People don't have access to uh the kind of care that can help you take action, because I think there's this, like, oh, people know the information, but taking action is quite a big step. And so I think there's lots of opportunities in this space to, for people to use existing knowledge that's out there and have healthier, happier lives. And that was, that was a big key driver for me.
for this particular issue. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah, that comes through strongly. So, so tell me about your experience with, um, I guess, forming a team or the creation of a team around it. How did that um, process eventuate, and was it a, a um, was it a case of a serendipitous exchange with um, one of your co-founders, or was it simply someone got to work on their own initially, and then a, a team was assembled? How did how did it um, sort of form in the in the early days? Yeah. So, uh, oh, back- sorry, and not to cut not to cut you off. Do you mind saying how long you've been in operation for? Actually, yeah, totally. Uh, I'll give you the big. Uh, I'll tell you the story from start to finish. So, uh, I started working on the concept in 2016. We launched our first test in October of 2018. So there was a two year period between me even starting to ideate what this might look like and just kind of plant the seeds. Uh, to when we launched our first test and that that was a period within which I worked pretty much the entire time to find the right people to start this thing with me and a bit of serendipity but also kind of (laughs) created serendipity so I knew uh, I have two co-founders. Let me tell you a little bit about them, I guess. So there's Zoe, yeah. Zoe and Kate. And Zoe is a genetic counselor and has been for the better part of the last decade or so. And Kate is uh, my technical co-founder and she's been working in technology for the past 15 years. She's fantastic. So they're both fantastic. And uh, I met Zoe. Uh, I, I've known Kate since my time at Inspire9. She was in a accelerator program where I was entrepreneur in residence and she was always fantastic but it took me like two years to convince her and really she was only convinced by the fact that Zoe joined because she was like oh it's no longer just some startup guy trying to solve some problem he doesn't understand there's yeah, like someone yeah. legitimate behind it yeah, <laughs> uh, so Zoe was my first uh, a real conversion <laughs> in this uh, in this particular uh, in the co-founder hunt and uh, I met Zoe through her partner, who is an angel investor around the Melbourne scene. And I actually knew that his wife was a genetic counselor. And I was looking for a genetic counselor who would be willing enough to take a crazy dive into the startup land. And I was like, surely this is the right person. And so I had facilitated an introduction to Adam uh, and uh, told him about Eugene, knowing full well the backstory of who his partner was. And he was like, oh, this sounds so great. I don't know anything about this stuff, but you should talk to my wife. And yes, I was like, yeah, oh, oh, that's a great idea, Adam. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> wow. Serendipitous. <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a background in design, don't you? Just sort I of do. like, you know, designing. Uh, <laughs> you can you can uh, design the future, um, so to speak, in, in this um, particular scenario. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so serendipitous. It was great. And, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, Adam introduced me to Zoe. At this stage, Zoe had had her second baby, and that was maybe like three months before this. So I think she often jokes that it was the first time where she had actually left the house without her kids uh, to catch up with me. And uh, we talked for ages, and uh, we did what we, th- what we like to call founder dating. So 
<laughs> just basically would catch yeah. up all the time, see if we work well together, see if we want to take this to the next level. Um, and oh, in that in that exchange, because there was some questions I wanted to ask you um, about yeah. some specifics, uh, as in drawing out a little bit of information for the benefit of people who listen to the podcast to understand a little bit about, um, I guess, you know, gathering a co-founder or or a bit of an insight into the process of how you would go about um, gathering investment. But um, mm-hmm. but what, what is that specific situation like when you're, I guess, uh, so to speak, courting a co-founder? Um, do you dance around the subject and just talk about life, et cetera, or are you talking in hard specifics about the actual company and it's almost a foregone conclusion that you are already working on it together? Uh, nothing is a foregone conclusion. So so we didn't necessarily take it like that. And the way that we did, and but it was also not one of those natural evolutions explorations as well, because actually you do kind of miss a bunch of information that you really need to gather. And so one of the things that I did as I was going through this process of co-founder dating was put together a expansive list of questions. And the way that I... Uh, since we're already on the dating analogy, I might as well use another one. Uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever read this New York Times article called "I think it's Forty Questions to Fall in Love." Ask these forty questions, and so there's a list of forty questions that sort of increase in intimacy over time. And the idea being, it can create rapid intimacy between two people and essentially help two people fall in love. So each question, both people answer it, and then you kind of build an increasing level of intimacy and uh i don't know if you've ever seen this but i recommend it it's really great i think it's awesome anyway i just, I just looked note. it up it's it's um it looks awesome it's 36 questions oh, that's that right. lead to love yeah yeah this is yeah. cool uh, yeah, it's super cool. So same concept, except for co-founders. So I created a list of questions. I don't know if there were 36 or anything fun numbered like that. But uh, we we essentially would look at the sheet, talk about each, answer each questions as honestly as we could to each other, and then explore the implications of that. You know, there's so many important things that you want to think about when you're starting a company, like what does a good exit represent? Would, you know, some people, maybe they just want a simple exit that's uh, attainable. Other people want to build uh, uh, companies with unlimited growth potential. There's just all these different ways that you want to do this. What are the values that you want to bring into the company? Uh, If someone's really commercially driven and only has their eyes set on increasing the value of the company and nothing else, then and you've got another co-founder that's actually quite purpose-driven, that's not really going to work. So there's all these different aspects and facets of starting a company with someone that you really need to explore the boundaries that uh, you guys meet and where you guys actually differ in general. So, uh, which is not to say that if you defer, you can't overcome it, but it's important to know that upfront. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, Let's talk about the business evolution. We might sort of, mm. you know, dance back and forth, I guess, um, about the journey, so to speak. But uh, motivation, I- I'm always um, fascinated by, you know, the motivation that sort of drives people within it. And um, I would love to know because you- you've got sort of, I guess, talking about a, uh, a personal circumstance in your life, which is a, a-, a catalyst for having this as your, um, your your livelihood your and certainly your career, uh, this venture. But, um, but what's, 
as I guess what I'm basically saying is, you know, carrying this on for sort of four years or so, where, mm. where are you um, seeing the motivation for continuing on the mission emanating from? Is it sort of, um, I guess, the the ideas exchange between co-founders? Is, is it about, um, let, let's say, accountability for as part of the investment process? And so it's, mm. it's much more about um, milestones to hit. What personally, what sort of motivates you or sustains that motivation? It's a good question. Loaded question. Yeah. I think I'm more just trying to find out, like, you know, what makes you sort of bounce out of bed and and um, and carry on with just um, being uh, empowered to carry this on. Yeah. I think that on any given day, there's a few things, right? You've got, you've got to connect. You've got to connect so many different levels. You have to connect on a values level. So um, how you connect with the company and what it does and what its purpose is on with your own personal values, whether that be uh, for me, that's, you know, equity and justice sits pretty high. Uh, the opportunity to create community and connection sits pretty high. Uh, opportunity for freedom sits pretty high, although that's always challenging when you're running a business, to be honest. Uh, it's yes. A lot of people get into starting companies because they value freedom and then they realize, actually, I'm not sure how much freedom it actually offers. Uh, it does offer <laughs> you <laughs> it offers you freedom on a high level in terms of where you spend your life. On a day-to-day, you do a lot of work that isn't necessarily about like what your choices are. <laughs> it's about what yeah, needs yeah. to happen. Uh, yeah, I can so, imagine. Uh, so yeah, on a high level, you know, it's, it's connecting with the values and connecting your daily work with your values, Uh, but also it's around the people that you spend your time with. Who do you want to spend your time with? Because I think one of the things that bring you back to work every day is feeling connected to the people that you are, that are on your team, feeling connected to each other's lives, each other's livelihoods and working on something together and coming together to create something that you wouldn't necessarily be able to create on your own uh, or other people like you. In fact, the only way to really create that is to bring together a bunch of people with extremely different knowledge sets and work together to solve a really complex problem. And that can be really exciting. And that that's really motivating for me to bring together these very diverse groups of people and yeah, try to solve a big problem that creates positive impact in the world yeah that's amazing i I think um i've I've got some thoughts out of what you've just expressed and you express it um yeah so articulately it's amazing uh i think you were talking about the people you surround yourself with so i want to ask you i know we've got some good news stories from recent times to reference some shortly but the people you surround yourself with. So A, I'd love to ask you about the acquisition of a, a team, a group of people that um, mm. similarly believe in the mission and um, uh, believe in, in that sense of purpose and equity and um, social justice. But furthermore, uh, you, you've, for as long as I've known you, you've fundamentally worked out of uh, co-working spaces. So mm-hmm. surrounded by a wide disparity of people mm-hmm. working on different ventures and obviously massive friendships of uh, formed out of that, and then um, this year has suddenly changed that largely. So, um, I guess what I guess I've sort of asked you about this: the assimilation of a team, but then also mm. um, not being surrounded by the people that you're used to being surrounded by. How has that affected you? Yeah. So, to answer your first question, yeah, co-working spaces in general and Inspire Nine in particular for me has been pretty critical in 
putting this team together. So both Kate and Zoe have met through the connections I've made at Inspire 9 or at Inspire 9 for that matter. And we've got another person on the company that uh, I met at Inspire 9 as well. So there's lots of these sort of co-working community connections that eventually somehow feel serendipitous, but it's quite honestly, an active investment in the community around you that eventually pays dividends. So that's kind of my view on the co-working space and the co-working communities around us. And as for how I've coped with its lack of existence this year, I have probably poorly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is not going to lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely been a tough year for community and networks and connections uh, that are not necessarily, you know, you see your close friends and you see your, uh, you see the family and really close knit friends and so on and so forth. But this year has not necessarily been great for that, just that outer circle. So it's, you got the inner circle and then you've got this middle circle, which is just a loose collection of people that you see often again, there's a lot of incidental contact with and, that incidental contact, it actually adds so much value to your life. I I feel like people really underestimate that. And this year has just not been good for that, I don't think. So um yeah, yeah, whether it's a co-working community or for me, um the burner community, I'm like relatively into Burning Man, Burning Sea, etc. I was, et I was gonna I was gonna get onto that. That was my yeah. next um way, so <laughs> Uh, and just not having that incidental contact and opportunity to just connect in a casual way, not necessarily in a specifically, we're going to meet at this time in this place. And I think that's great. That intentionality is fantastic, obviously, but sometimes it's actually just nice to have the incidental contact. I think it comes as a spontaneous surprise. Like I ran into you the other day. I thought that was like, that was, that was almost as good as setting a time and meeting. In fact, might even be almost just a little bit better because there is a little bit of serendipity to it. Yeah, I mean, like that—that had been my first time in um, the area of Collingwood for around about ten months, which is crazy. Whilst I don't um, live there, I would—I would certainly roam around there regularly. And um, yeah, I won't even lie. I think I actually um, told yourself and Melina who you were with explicitly, uh, but I was like, I, I feel a bit emotional. <laughs> like I—I uh, <laughs> I, I have not really seen people. I'd just been there to catch up with some other friends who I similarly had not seen in quite some time and literally just stepping back out into um seeing people so yeah I've, i felt quite emotional about it and it's um it's really nice to see smiling faces on the street and just bumping yeah. them as opposed to schedule a coffee catch up um yeah so i feel exactly the same as what you um mentioned just before yeah i want to ask you um you i may as well since you um mm. You are uh, you. You took my segue away, but um, <laughs> you're a regular at Burning Man, and we'll go back to your team um, assimilation. But uh, Burning Man, so it's a regular fixture on your year, is that correct? Yes, yes. Burning Man, Burning Seed, just yeah, they're they're both regular fixtures. <laughs> so, um, how long have you been attending? And and um, I mean, you mentioned about the the connections with people that you established, but uh, why is this such an important part of your your year slash life. So I think I've been involved in the com- in the scene of the community for the past four years, and I 
I love it for a whole bunch of reasons, but I think it probably all comes down to the principles and the values of the burn in general. And so many of those things I actually connect with on a personal level quite deeply. And so do a lot of the people that come there. So in essence, it's a large community of people with very much shared values. I think that's one of the things that I find most magical about it. And if I were to give you, I guess, an example of that, how would I give you an example of that? Um, I mean, so there's, there's a sense of, so if you look up the principles of burning seed or burning man, they're both the same really. And it's, it's about immediacy. It's about uh, community, communal effort. It's about uh, leaving no trace. It's about uh, a culture of gifting. So it's all these beautiful elements of humanity that we bring together. And everything that you see at each of these festivals uh, are created by the participants that are present. So I have this memory of Burning Man that I feel like this paints the most appropriate picture where I was just cycling through the desert and it was there was a sandstorm out there so I literally couldn't see anything. And I just started to hear this person playing the piano. So I could just like hear piano. And I, I was... I couldn't see anything, so I obviously just decided to cycle towards the piano and or the towards the sound, I should say. And this guy was just like sitting in the middle of the desert, in the middle of a sandstorm, playing piano on this really beautiful old grand piano that is attached to his motorbike and is on wheels. And he's just playing this amazing melody and I just sit over there. I just stand over there, started listening to him and he tells me to come sit next to the base of the piano so I can feel every single vibration. And I look up at the sky and all I see is sand and it's surreal. It's obviously surreal. It's just such a, a beautiful moment of that's just like between me and this person that simply could not be replicated. It's not on an agenda. No one else will probably have that exact experience because this person is just going to move their piano in the next 30 minutes anyway, because they'll just get on their bike and ride away. And this was a single moment in time, completely ephemeral that was shared between me and this person. And it sticks with me to this day, many years later. And it's, like wonderful it's like one of my favorite memories of all time and that's that that's it it's not replicable you can't go back there that doesn't happen again and i think there's just this person wasn't getting paid to do this this person was just doing this because they wanted to put a smile on people's faces they were doing it to be to express themselves and to feel creative and uh i got to have share this experience with this person and experience their joy and gift to the world. And that's it. I don't know their name. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am. And it's beautiful. I think it's just a beautiful human connection that lasts for a second, but really lasts for a lifetime. I didn't want to get too Freudian and start asking what, what this sort of uh, inherently meant to you and what you associated. But um, it's, it's um, you know, this is also born of, 
uh, an element of, you know, you yourself and all these thousands of other people have made a pilgrimage um, to this location. In some past uh, chats on the, um, like on this uh, podcast project, for example, uh, you know, chatted with various people about the notion of audience versus community. And, um, mm. you know, obviously when, when you talk about community, uh, themes of uh, reciprocity, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, and connection and intent, shared intention and, you um, and obviously, uh, I guess, a purposeful driven approach um, sort of emanate and rise to the fore. So it's, um, I'm wondering, it, like, in what other ways this might be indicative of uh, yourself in terms of what you do or uh, how you live. I know you live uh, with other people. So in sort of a, mm-hmm. a some element of a shared um, capacity, you you work within a co-working space. You're surrounded by this um, great team. You love these uh communal experiences but have you thought uh much about further um other elements of your life in which um a community first approach has uh has impacted that's a good question uh it's really high on my value set to for a community and connection it's really really high on my value set so i feel like it's got it's got its implications all over my life i think the closest for, i'm an immigrant so my story is one of an uh, of an immigrant, and I arrived in this country knowing zero people uh, seven years ago. And four years ago, I started a company that has, I mean, it's, it, it, pardon the lack of humility, but it's like it's doing quite well, right? And I'm quite proud of how well we're doing, and we're we're doing not just our, not only are we doing well, but we're also doing good work and we're doing it for the right reasons. And we've managed to bring all these people together to create this thing. And seven years ago, I didn't know a single person in Australia. So yeah. this sense of community and of what it brings to my life is pretty clear in the outcomes. I have a beautiful group of friends that are like my family. I have a, I've been able to create a life for myself and I've been able to create a company that is growing and thriving in this world and doing good work. And all of that is because of the community that is around me because you don't do anything alone. The people on my team are uh, are formed from my community or the community of my co-founders. There's uh, My friend circle are from co-working spaces and co-living communities. The, it, it's all really come together because of it. So it adds so much value to my life. I can't even begin to uh, quantify it, really. Yeah, oh, that's one. That's wonderful. So uh, I've danced around a little bit and we've um, ebbed and flowed, but I really want to um, talk mm. in practical terms about the construction of a team. When when you sort of mm-hmm. begin on that journey of, of bringing more and more people on, I know I know you mentioned. Obviously, we've talked about um, your your co founding team, and and there's some specifics relating to uh, them in terms of uh, recent good news stories that I um, touched on before that we'll, we'll definitely talk about. But um, you mentioned another person who was from within Inspire Nine has joined the team, but there's a wider team. So how many people are part of Eugene at the moment? And what was sort of that process like um, building the, building it up? Yep. So there's uh, there's essentially 13 of us, including the medical directors and advisors that uh, help the company out from a clinical perspective. And uh, m- many of us 
so you know we've got a team that is actually quite unique there's a lot of clinicians there's technologists there's designers there's entrepreneurs there's very very they're all very very different to each other (laughs) and (laughs) i tell you that is comes with its challenges for sure (laughs) uh but but i think that one of the things that we've done quite well is we've been able to bring all these people together and work on a shared problem set and I think that that's something that is really hard to do if you're not necessarily aligned on the mission. And I think that the mission alignment has driven Eugene's growth and hiring strategy from the get-go. I think that we often have many disagreements on how we might do something, but we rarely have disagreements in what our mission ought to, like what are we trying to bring to life in this world? And yeah. I think that helps a lot in terms of assimilation, especially when people's skill sets are so diverse to each other's. You mentioned before you've got two, I guess, core uh, focuses, which is the the carrier screening and then the um, cancer risk test. Yeah. Uh, so were these were these uh, both initiated um, uh, together to begin with, or did you begin with one no. and, and evolve into the other as well? That's right. Yeah. So we started with carrier screening. We sold our first test in October 2018. So it was about okay. two, two years ago and change. We only launched the cancer risk test uh, October 2020. So that's actually quite yeah. recent on the scene. And we, the way that we went about figuring out and deciding, you know, which ones we go with, how do we launch it, and why do we put it out there in the world? It's really just about how about making sure that we're creating a product that adds value in terms of the information it provides to people's lives so that they can make better in, and more informed healthcare decisions. We don't want to just like sell a test for the sake of selling a test. We want to make sure that uh, the results actually have high value impact on people's lives and the decisions that they can make within that. We want to make sure that their doctors, whether they're obstetricians or GPs or so on and so forth, are able to use this information in making more practical decisions in in a medical setting. So we we think quite strongly about the tests that that we bring to market. We also consider its impact on a grander scale. Uh, You know, we think about how much uh, it, it, whether it costs like the health system or just like the 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 individuals themselves in terms of like their lives, uh, what can this information do for them? And with cancer, heart disease, whether it's carry screening, there these are significant moments in people's lives, and if we can help make that better, I think that's where we look at when we think about the tests that we want to bring to market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I. I really liked how you talked about um, gathering the team and I can only imagine what a um, a standing, uh, what would you call it, uh, a whip, a team meeting uh, might be like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of um, qualified voices in the room. But let's yeah. um, let's talk a bit. I would love, uh, you're, you're the CEO of a company um, and, and part of that also entails, uh, I guess, um, you know the the funds to keep to keep this uh, venture going, and uh, a, a recent part of the the journey has obviously been around um, investment. Um, and mm-hmm. so, to paint a little bit of a picture, um, doesn't have to be crazy detail. But how have you found that in terms of the um, as with a, a lot of startup um, or scale up sort of ventures, it's that uh, investment 
um, attraction. So going out there and finding sort of people that share that vision for for what you're doing and invest in it to um, to help you achieve growth. So how has that been in terms of uh, following that um, approach in the in the business life and um, and uh, with what you can share? What does that sort of translate into for the near future? Yeah, of course. So we've we've had some good success, especially with angels in Australia. I think that angels are really likely to get behind purpose-driven companies because they actually, they're individuals, they connect with purpose, they connect with vision, and cool. they also make decisions quickly. And <laughs> uh, we've, we've, had a, we've been really lucky in that we've got a pretty amazing diverse set of uh, investors, whether they're from the startup space, whether they're healthcare space, social impact space. And that's yeah. been that's been incredibly helpful. We've raised two rounds so far, probably a total of about one point three mil, and right. it's uh, all been through angels. And moving forward, we also just recently got awarded the female founders grant from the government. So there's also an opportunity yeah. to, uh, you know, get more grant funding and support the growth in improving access to healthcare for uh, Australians. And there's a, there's like obviously a lot of value to be created here. And we've found that both amongst angel investors and also through the government grant system, we've been able to really support and grow the business and, uh, you know, like provide some financial stability as we go through these endeavors. In regards to, say, this re- this grant that you've recently received and then, of course, you know, with the the angel investment um, interest that you've attracted, uh, do you feel that this um, brings more eyes to what you're doing um, with the venture and, and helps you to have easier conversations in terms of continuing to drive the mission in the future? Absolutely. I think absolutely. And I think we obviously are going to quickly outgrow the capacity of just, you know, doing this with angel investments alone or even grant funding alone. I think we are going to have to start raising a lot more money. And uh, yeah, and that will be more in sort of the venture fund space. But so far, these uh, so far, the angel investors and the grants have really helped del- helped us bring to market and deliver products and services that are helping people in thousands of people at this stage, right? Like we've screened over 4,000 people since we launched and that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. So yeah, absolutely. It's bring a, lot, bring a lot of attention and absolutely it's helping us grow this and deliver and better preventative care to everyone. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they call them, um, you know, uh, starting, uh, starting a startup or, or a venture and, um, and similarly, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits. And, and I can only imagine, um, you know, being the CEO of a company um, carries some, some elements of connotations of, uh, you know, some real loneliness factors. Um, mm. How about this year? Did that sort of really, hit home a little bit you've gathered a team to surround yourself with and then all of a sudden you are literally um alone isolated um i I know you said that you struggled inherently in in terms of not being surrounded by people but also with the um the responsibilities that come with running a company and looking after people's um paycheck and and um 
and managing their expectations and driving a culture, etc. I can imagine it was a relatively lonely pursuit for this year. It was hard. It was definitely hard. And I would say that uh, I'm lucky to have two amazing co-founders who actually support me through a lot of these. And I hope to support them through a lot of their burdens as well. But, you know, there's like things that depending on your role in the company, there are certain things that you just carry. And I think that the financial stability and capital stability of the company is something that I carry. It's my job. It's something that I have to do. And uh, uh, I think that this year, uh, especially going into April, it was pretty hard, to be honest, because suddenly you you've raised this much money and you're expecting to spending it this much time and you've got all these plans in place and suddenly you're like, Oh shit, I need to double our runway and I don't want to lose people. I also need to make sure that the company is sustainable for over a period for an extended period of time. So, I mean, like, you know, I've gone practically gray this year. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) very real, uh, uh, but, I think in, yeah, like I, I feel like lonely, it, it can feel lonely at times, but if you zoom out even for a second, you know that that's something that your co-founders are equally carrying. You know, we like say, oh, it's like, it's a lonely journey, but then I'll talk to my co-founders and they're like worrying about the same things. So it's like, actually, it's not just, it's not just me. They're worrying about that too. And you talk to the team and they're kind of worrying about that too. It might be that it's mm-hmm. my responsibility to be able to deliver on that. But yeah. the the burden is actually in many ways shared. And you look out there in the world, and I say this today when, you know, I feel pretty good and life is good but in the moment you might still feel incredibly lonely so i feel like the (laughs) if you asked me this question in august or something or when you know we were two months into the second lockdown and i was feeling terrible then i would probably have a different answer but today i can look at it and be like if you zoom out there's actually a lot of people who share this burden with you and yeah. And that includes other co- other CEOs out there, right? There's so many people. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. We're all suffering from the same shit. Yeah, and obviously, um, because you're predisposed to that, um, uh, a community connection, um, shared space sort of uh, vibe. Um, whether whether that's happening as much um, now as we lead into summer, but certainly with the turn of the new year, uh, as providing things stay uh, relatively normal here in Melbourne, Australia, then. Um, yeah, I guess that can sort of come back and you've got a, a, a greater group of people to lean on who have mm-hmm. similarly shared experiences, which is really cool. Absolutely. What do you foresee um, in the near future, not just for Eugene as a whole in terms of um, growth, but also for yourself um, personally? Do you get wrapped up in some side projects, et cetera, um, on the side? What What does uh, sort of, I guess, even just beginning with the start of 2021 look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that for Eugene, it's, you know, we're, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to, uh, going to create some really interesting ways of scaling clinical care to a much wider community. And we want to grow, uh, not just in Australia, but beyond. We want to deliver high quality healthcare services to everyone and we want to make them as accessible as humanly possible. So our future for Eugene is to continue delivering 
the next generation of healthcare today. And that's going to be, that's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm really, really excited about that. And I think the team is going to continue to grow. We think we'll probably double in the next year as well. We've doubled this year. Oh, wow. we've doubled. So yeah, I think, and you know, with that, my job is going to change quite a lot too. There's one thing to be a CEO of five person company and another thing to be a CEO of a 11, 13 person company. And then quite another to do that for 23, 30 people. So I think I'm pretty excited by that challenge, even though it's certainly scary. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you want to be a little scared. Uh, otherwise, uh, what's the point? You're not really growing. And uh, so I, I'm really excited about that. In terms of, you know, what's happening for me outside of Eugene, I I have a lot of, like, creative pursuits. I I tend to be kind of a missionary when it comes to the business aspect of things. So if I'm going to run a business, I'm going to run only one. I'm not going to get distracted by trying to run multiple businesses. I know that a lot of people do that and it actually helps them. It's just not me. I am very driven by purpose. And so if I'm going to invest in a purpose, I just tend to invest all of it uh, in there. But from a creative sense, because my role has been changing quite a lot, I don't really do design work that much anymore because, well, yeah, like I have a different job now. And so I I paint, I do uh, other types of like, you know, I, I do other creative things outside of work to still feed that creative element that is part of my life. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably going to be a continued pursuit for me. Oh, that's awesome. I've got some... Um... Might not be the last question, but yeah. we, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, have you been checking up on the um, on the flights uh, websites and just sort of uh, preemptively booking Burning Man in for next year? Is it oh not running? Or what, what's <laughs> it's unclear if it's going to run, but there is Kiwi Burn in January, and I swear to God, if they You're live right. in New Zealand, I will be <laughs> on the first flight out. I mean, international travel is kind of like a core part of my essence. I've lived in a bunch of different places, and I love traveling. So uh, if they let me into New Zealand in January, I will be there. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist asking. <laughs> but obviously, um, yeah, it's certainly something to, oh, well, just the pilgrimage and return when the eventually happens will just be that much sweeter won't it um absolutely nothing well. like ripped away from you if you do um long for it um more mm-hmm. than ever i guess yeah i look forward to dancing in the dust <laughs> but more so um yeah I'm, look i'm excited for you uh w- you know with the next phase and i i know um the team continues to go from strength to strength but um i really appreciate you expressing so much about you know leadership and and um and working with the team having having some fantastic co-founders um by your side having some great good news stories um recently but also um you know just sort of um you, you know the values that sort of drive you in running this company and i'm incredibly excited to see where it goes next me too. I'm really excited to see where it goes next too. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put plenty of links in the show notes um, for what we've chatted about today, the, the articles, various other people that you've um, referenced. But I, I know you're on Instagram at Eugene Labs Co. Um, and I'll put your other social media handles in there um, too. But um, obviously anyone listening, do go check them out on uh, LinkedIn. Um, Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook, and, and so on. 
um, Kanal, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being part of the chat today. Thank you for having me. It was pretty cool. I yeah yeah, yeah thank you. It was yeah it was and it was great to see you the other week. But um I, I can't oh, wait till okay. the next time we catch up with um maybe f- more plans. You know more plans. Yeah yeah yeah. And it was face to face, right? Like I'm like fully over Zoom calls and phone calls and all of the calls face to face. I'm ready for <laughs> that's that. Right, that's right. <laughs> you're one of my last guests for this year um so um it's been an absolute pleasure and i'll see you in the new year sounds good yeah you're very prolific by the way i just like can see you pump it out i'm pretty like surprised by your capability to just keep pushing it it's fantastic oh linkedin etc oh no i just like meant like you know like there's a lot of episodes i know a lot of people who do podcasts but you like push out a lot of episodes it's pretty remarkable I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but it's really good. Oh, thank you so much. It's um, I and and you know what? I've just kept recording this. <laughs> you can just get, <laughs> how's that? Get, like one of the last episodes, and I get a bunch of compliments. So I just, like, you know, <laughs> just ending the conversation. Oh, no, it's, absolutely. Um, it's it's a, it's definitely a tough endeavor. It's way uh, it takes a lot more interneting than I probably mm. um. Uh, thought it would but by the same token um a few people have expressed that they're wanting to launch it out and are um are hoping too soon and uh I, i'm i'm more than happy for them to get in contact and just if i can share anything so they can pursue if if only just a tiny passion project just to see what happens um yeah i'd be more than happy to help them out but yeah look i've i've enjoyed it it's been a, a form of distraction and motivation for me in a mentally pretty challenging year um so i've needed the distraction to be honest Totally. And the conversations um, are what, what sustains me. So um, it's been really enjoyable. And it's like probably nice to just like talk to a bunch of interesting people in general, right? Especially Absolutely. Since, yeah. Yeah. Because I've known you for quite some time. And, um, you know, and, and by the same token, I don't know a lot of the aspects of your past life. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, get a, I, get a, I get an emotional satisfaction from it. So, um, yeah, I particularly enjoy it. Um, ironically, this is quite funny. How's everyone just listening to the conversation now? Just going, when is this thing wrapping up? And <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that was my chat with Canal Carlro. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I- I've had him on the list for quite a time, but we, we sort of touched upon and I didn't quite reference it at the start, but we bumped into each other just a few days before I asked if he was, um, available for a chat and it was a lovely, um, catch up after, you know, sort of months of lockdown and, uh, with the both of us being, uh, what would you call it? Extreme ext- extroverts. <laughs> I think we just enjoyed uh, seeing some familiar faces. So um, it was highly enjoyable. Um, so I'm really pleased he got involved. And in terms of what Eugene are doing, you can follow along. Um, so their website is eugenelabs.com. And you can also follow uh, Eugene Labs on Twitter. It's at Eugene Labs or Instagram at Eugene Labs Co. You can also follow Canal. He's at KCKAL across um, most social media platforms, I think. Uh, my name's Gary Williams. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, music on this podcast is by my old band Bateman, programmed by our drummer Gareth Leach. So appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, uh, till the next episode, we'll catch you soon. Cheers. Cheers.